Thanks, Ken. Ken's right. That was a fantastic song to finish on and uh, to start uh, to, to lay the groundwork for what we're going to talk about today. We are starting a new series called Built on a Rock, and Jesus is the cornerstone, the rock on which his church is built. He said, I will build my church. And he is the rock. All that who, who he is, what he has done, is the foundation on which he has brought us together worldwide. We're going to talk during the series about what the church is, how the church functions, what the purpose of the church, lots of different things. This morning we're going to talk about how the church is the body of Christ. He takes all these individuals and he baptizes them into one body and makes us unified and uses us together and in each other's lives. And so let's just pray before we start. Lord, we are so thankful to be here. We missed being together last week and we're thankful that you have allowed us to come together this morning. We want to continue worshiping Jesus as we open your word. We want to see what he has to tell us about the church that he has built and how he wants us to play a role, the many parts of the body of Christ, working together, supporting each other, caring for each other, loving each other, serving each other. Lord, show us Jesus' vision for us as his church. And Lord, help us to surrender ourselves to that good plan that you have created. We thank you for it, and we ask you to work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who know me well know that my whole life I have really enjoyed sports. And I played lots of different sports. I enjoy watching sports. I enjoy coaching sports. Just sports have been just a big part of my life. And my favorite sport to play is basketball. And even though I'm old and I'm slow and I can jump about that far off the ground now, uh, when the Young Bucks will let me play, I still like to join in. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if they're here this morning, but a couple of weeks ago, um, Sid and Trip Cohn showed up at the club that I play at. And so I got to play against them, which was a ton of fun, until I scored a couple of baskets and they switched Sid onto me and it was over because he is so long and so quick and jumped so well that he blocked like three shots in a row. So it was over. But anyway, I enjoy playing basketball. A couple years ago, I had a time where there were several months when I just couldn't play at all. I wanted to play, but I couldn't play at all. I was sidelined by just one little tiny part of my body. I got a bad case of plantar fasciitis, and those of you who've had that know that that can be really miserable. What it is, is it's the tissue between the arch of your foot and your heel gets inflamed and it is, I could hardly walk at times. It was so bad, let alone play basketball, right? So my whole body wanted to play basketball, but that one little part, just my heel, was so sore that I was sidelined. I couldn't do it. It was affecting the entire rest of my body's ability to do what God had created my body to be able to do. It was so painful and so inflamed. Now, I would have never thought that such a small little part of my body could have such a broad effect on the entire rest of my body's ability to function. But it did. My, my heel was showing no love to the rest of my body, right? I wanted to play basketball, but I couldn't. And frankly, the rest of my body was showing no love to my heel 
Because every time the pain would subside, the rest of my body said, oh, let's go play again. Right? And all I would do was re-injure it and re-inflame it again all over. And so there was love, no love going back in either direction. My heel wasn't loving the rest of my body. The rest of my body wasn't loving my heel. And as a result, I gimped around like the old man that I am for several months, actually. Never able to get over this. Now, that's a really good illustration, I think, of something we're going to see this morning from God's Word. It's a great illustration of how the body of Christ, much like our human bodies, and that's the illustration used in the passage of Scripture this morning, is made up of many, many parts. And when one part is hurting or not functioning as it should, it has a huge effect on the rest of the part, the rest of the body. And if one part doesn't function right, the whole body won't function right. And it's an important, important principle for us to learn. Before we start into our passage, which is 1 Corinthians 12, you could open your Bible there. I just want to lay a foundation by looking at it very briefly at a couple of other passages that really lay a foundation for what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12. There's a couple things we need to understand about God's plan for us in the church and our relationships with each other. The first thing we need to understand is Jesus has a real simple plan for our relationships in the church. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Think about that. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, most of us are pretty familiar with that verse. Probably most of you have heard it before. So it's kind of easy to just be, you know, casual about what that means. But I want us to take a step back and slow down for a minute and think about The magnitude of what that says. You love each other the way I have loved you, Jesus says. So how did Jesus love us? Well, we could spend a lot of time on this and we're not going to, but let's just make a quick list just to get the juices flowing. It'll be just just scratching the surface. Jesus loved us to the point where he was willing to sacrifice his life to meet our need of forgiveness of sins. Jesus always forgives us no matter how many times we sin against him. Jesus always acts for our good. He's never selfish and has his own agenda. He's all about what we need because he loves us. Jesus is generous and loves to give us gifts. I have a son whose primary love language is gift giving. He's it's incredible. Constantly bringing, but Jesus is the ultimate gift giver, right? He forgives all our sins. Gift. He adopts us into His family. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He transforms our character, and eventually will completely transform us so we'll never do a sin. He provides a home in heaven. Gift after gift after gift. Wow. God's demand or command for us, His desire, His plan is for us to love each other. In that kind of way. It's beautiful. But if you really think about it, it's kind of frightening too, isn't it? How can we ever do that? It seems completely impossible. But the truth is, it is possible. Why? Let's look at one other verse. 
How can it be possible for us to love each other as Jesus has loved us? Look at 1 Peter 4, verses 8 to 10. It says, above all, keep loving each other earnestly. Some translations say deeply, fervently. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Listen to this phrase. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. God's very grace. Above all, keep loving each other earnestly. How do you do that? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Just want to point out two or three things here. God says this call for us to love each other is the highest priority in our relationships. Above all, he says, above everything else we do as a church in our relationships, love one another. Another thing he says is keep on loving each other. He acknowledges it's not going to be easy. It's going to take persistence. It's going to take a long-term commitment. It's going to, you're going to have to just persist in it because it's not hard. Why? Well, he acknowledges that too because there's a multitude of sin out there. All of us as Christians are in process. We're still sinners. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to say stupid things and do stupid things. And we're going to hurt each other and we're going to sin each against each other. So it's important and it's going to be, we're going to have to keep loving each other through all of that. But his call is keep on loving each other. Notice the intensity here of how he wants us to love each other. He says love each other earnestly. Or fervently, deeply. The word that's used here is the word that's used to describe an athlete who's straining with every muscle in his body trying to accomplish something. That's the description of how he wants us to love each other. It's a wonderful, wonderful calling and plan. I mean, think about the privilege of God wanting us as his church to love each other like this. Like Jesus loves us, he wants us to love each other. How is it possible? It's possible because as followers of Jesus, as members of his church, he has gifted us. He has equipped us. He has empowered us. Look at that last phrase again. As each has received a gift, use it. To serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Brothers and sisters, each of us is a channel of God's love. Love each other. How do you do that? Dispense his grace into each other's lives. That's not a, that's not about our ability. You've received a gift or gifts that equip you to do that. Is it possible for us to love each other? Not perfectly, like Christ, but more and more like Christ. Why? Because it's not based on our ability. It's based on his gifting us, his working through us, his making us uh, channels of his love and grace. And so, with that in mind, let's read our passage, 1 Corinthians 12. I want to Start with a few verses early in the chapter just to lay groundwork. There we go. 
Verses 4 to 7. Let's start there. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now in the next few verses following that, he lists some examples of gifts. So we're not going to spend a lot of time trying to dissect what all the gifts are. That's not the point of our message this morning. The point is we've all been given one and we need to use them. And we're going to focus on on that and the beauty of what that looks like in the body of Christ. So let's pick up again in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. But that there may, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're going to dissect this and just briefly touch on a, a number of just beautiful, beautiful points here that make us should make us feel really privileged to be a part of Christ's church and a part of his body. First of all, first truth I want us to look at is that every true Christian is given a spiritual gift. We see it both in this passage and in the first passage we looked at, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says, to each, that's Christians, every Christian, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Back in 1 Peter, it said, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another. God makes it clear that the gifts he has given. I'm in the wrong place. Yeah, the gifts he's given everybody a gift. Nobody has been left out. The other the next point is that God has given you spiritual gifts and they are not for you. They're for the rest of the people. He says, each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. It's for the rest of the body. It's for other other people. 
It's not for you. He says, use it to serve in First Peter one another as stewards of God's grace. If you have a gift, and there are lots of different ones, various ones, it is God's grace, and his plan for it is not just to bless you. Well, that's true, it does. But his primary goal is for you to be a channel, a conduit of his love and grace to others. I am so thankful for that. It is a privilege to be a part of the church universal, but to be a part of a local manifestation of God's church that is also a body with many parts and lots of different kinds of gifts. And for all of you to feel the calling of God to be there for me, to serve me, to, to, to care for me, to provide for me, that is a, such a privilege. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a wonderful plan of our God. Another point we see here is that these gifts are not just human talents. They are supernatural, God-empowered abilities. He says, verses 4 to 6, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but it is the same God who empowers them all. We're not talking about just human talents here. Have you ever heard somebody say something like, Wow, that person is so talented and so capable. Can you imagine if they would become a Christian? How God would use them? They would light the world on fire for Christ. That's not how this works. That's not what we're talking about here. Just because somebody is incredibly talented, and those are gifts from God too, don't get me wrong, but that's not what it's talking about here. We're not just talking about somebody who's a, a great orator or who's, you know, has certain physical abilities or whatever. Pre-Christian. These are gifts given by the Spirit when we are brought into the body of Christ. And they are supernatural. They are empowered by God. This is His power. This is not just our natural human talents and abilities. You see the difference? Another point we need to understand here is that there's never room for pride or jealousy because God chooses our spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12:18 said God has arranged the parts of the body each one of them as he chose. No room for pride there. I don't get to decide which gift he chooses to empower me with and equip me with. He makes the choice. He arranges the parts of the body, just like he created this physical body. And certain pieces of mine are getting out of place at this point. But he puts the parts of his spiritual body, all of us, and the, and the abilities and, the, and the, the, the gifts, the capabilities and equipping to meet the needs of other people. He does that. He decides it. So if I'm going to be proud about what spiritual gift I have or the way it's being exercised, then aren't I taking credit for what God has done? He gave it to me. He empowers it. How can I possibly be proud about that? How inappropriate is that? And on the other side of that, if I'm not maybe happy 
With what spiritual gift? I wish I had that one. Boy, that person over there, wow, that's a cool spiritual gift. I'm jealous that, that they have that one. And I just have this one over here. That too is presuming to have more wisdom than God does about what his body needs and how to arrange it. So we need to be careful about that. It's easy for us to have a human perspective about this kind of stuff. It's easy for us to think, wow, I'd really like to have that upfront, that visible type of spiritual gift that everybody can see so that everybody would notice. It's natural for us as human beings. We tend to want to be noticed and not want to be seen. And we tend to think that somehow those are more important and those are more valuable. But that's not God's perspective. That's something else we see here. The next point we see is that God says the parts of his church we may see as weak or as insignificant are indispensable. Look again, verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, look at that word, indispensable. We cannot be effective without them. He goes on to say, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Notice the repeated use of the word need in this passage. If, if, if you think that your gift, because it's maybe not, or the way God uses you is maybe not upfront or visible or seen, and you don't feel like people even know about it or you're getting much thanks for it, and so, therefore, it's maybe not as, por- as important. No. No. God's perspective is absolutely every part is absolutely needed. And even if the rest of the body doesn't understand how needed it is, they can't rightly say, "Ah, I don't need that part of the body. That's, that's not important. No. The eye needs the ear. The ear needs the nose. And I needed my heel, but it wasn't there when I needed it, right? So we need to be really, really careful. I love that word indispensable. I love that, that God's perspective is that those, those parts of the body that we think aren't really very important and, and that, you know, really aren't needed. He says, no, 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 those are the ones that are worthy of the most honor. And I think when we stand before the Lord, and rewards are passed out, we're going to be shocked. Because I think a lot of us who do things up front, and people think they're so important, are going to find out that people who were doing stuff that nobody knew about was way more important to God. Absolutely indispensable and worthy of greater honor, we're told here. So we need to keep God's perspective and not look at things from a human perspective and value things in the wrong way. Both our own gifts and the gifts of others. I want to urge all of us to resist accepting the enemy's lie that whatever gift you have or whatever gift somebody else has, that it's insignificant, that it's not important. Don't buy into that lie. This passage is crystal clear. 
Whatever it is that God has gifted you, it is needed. It is indispensable. And it is worthy of great honor. So see it that way. See it from God's perspective, both in yourself and in others around you. So I want to look at another another aspect of this. You know, Scripture talks about a lot of different kinds of gifts. And this is not at all a comprehensive list. I only put that up there. We're not going to spend time talking about what the spiritual gifts are. I just put this up there to make a point. You know, it's not unusual for Christians to have no idea what their spiritual gift is. Now, if if that's you, I don't want to want you to feel bad about that. I do want you to realize that there's a pretty quick way and easy way to allow God to show you what it is. But I only put this up there because if you take all the lists from Scripture, there's a, there's a lot of spiritual gifts that are listed. I personally don't believe that those lists, if you combine them all together, that that's a comprehensive list of all the spiritual gifts. I don't think that's the point. I think the lists are there just to tell us, you know what, there's a lot of parts to the body and there's all kinds of ways that God uses us in each other's lives. And it's varied beyond our understanding and you can't necessarily pigeonhole and give some name and I don't think we need to worry about that. God has many, many, many parts to his body and he gives them all kinds of different roles and that's the point. He's given you something. And it's supernatural. And he wants you to use it. He wants to, you to allow him to use you as a channel of his love and his grace into the rest of the people in this room. And even in your neighborhood and other places. But in the church body, he has prepared us to serve each other, to love each other, to meet each other's needs. If you don't yet know what your spiritual gift is, I want to encourage you to not let that become an excuse. Well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, so I don't know what to do. Now, frankly, just because you don't know what it is, doesn't mean you don't have one, and it doesn't mean God isn't already using it, and it doesn't mean he can't keep using it in a greater and greater way. I'm not, I'm not saying don't worry about it. I think you should try to find out. Try to, try to ask God to reveal to you. What have you equipped me to do? What do you want me to do? That's a good desire, but don't let it be an excuse if you don't know. Here's my advice. If you don't know what it is, just get busy. Pretty simple plan. Just get busy. But you, to get busy, you gotta do a couple of things. You gotta be involved in people's lives. You've gotta connect with people. If you don't know what the needs of the individuals around you are, how can you get busy? Trying to help them, trying to be involved in their life. If you don't know what need for service there is in the church, when we come together, there's always things that need to be done. If you're not engaged in seeking that out, You're going to just keep sitting in the pew every Sunday and never be engaged in anything. And that's not a very good way to find out what God uses you best at, how God blesses what you're doing. 
Get busy. Seek out needs. Spend lots of time with brothers and sisters in Christ in all kinds of different settings looking for what can you can do to help somebody, to support somebody, to encourage somebody, to teach somebody, to whatever need you see. Look for something to do. Find a broom to push, a table to wipe, uh, you know, a slot in the nursery or the Sunday school or whatever. And when you do that, it'll quickly, you'll begin to see, oh, wow, when I do that, I find great joy and gratification in doing that, in serving in that way, in encouraging somebody in that way, in meeting this need. And it'll become apparent to you and to others who, who are experiencing God's grace being poured into their life and to others who are observing what it is God uses you to do, how you've been supernaturally equipped, what, what area. And it could be things like that, not a, not a comprehensive list, but gives you an idea of the kind of things that, that it could be. So, get active serving people. You know, there are some here saying, wow, if God's equipped the body to serve each other and to love each other, and he's given people all of these gifts, some of you might be sitting here thinking, then why do I still feel so unloved? Why do I feel like nobody cares about me? Why do I feel like people aren't inputting into my life? And it's possible that those around you maybe aren't exercising their spiritual gifts, aren't offering to the Lord. They aren't engaging. They aren't serving. That's a possibility because we are all flawed and we need to be ready to forgive each other. And so that, that is a possibility. It could be that some are not doing what God's called them to do. And, and as a result, it's impacting you. But love covers a multitude of sins. But let me give you another possibility. I want to encourage you to ask yourself a question. If you're feeling like your needs are not being met, that you're not being loved, that God's grace isn't being poured into your life, ask yourself this question. How much opportunity... Am I giving other believers to pour God's love and grace into me? How much opportunity am I giving other believers to pour God's love and grace into me? If you're choosing to not regularly engage actively in opportunities for fellowship on a regular basis, if you're not spending as much time as you can together with God's people, more than just sitting in the pew on Sunday morning. If you're not involved in a small group of some kind, a men's breakfast, a life group, you know, a women's group of some kind, if you're not meeting one-on-one with somebody to build a deeper relationship, then how are people going to know and understand what your needs are? And when you're with other believers, if you're not willing to open up and be honest about what you're struggling with, about what your needs are, about about your discouragement. How will other believers be able to engage? It makes it really, really difficult. It's like a part of the body that has sort of separated itself. 
and not allowing the rest of the body to really do what God has equipped them to do. So I just want to encourage you that if you're going to allow other believers to have an impact with the grace of God being poured through them, and if you're going to be able to do that in anybody else's life or in the church as a whole, it takes a deep commitment to spending time with God's people. And if you don't do that, and if you don't engage and and let people know what your physical needs are, your emotional needs are, your spiritual needs are, if you're not open and honest, you're going to make it really hard for the body of Christ to effectively be conduits of grace into your life because you're separating yourself from the fellowship. I want to close with just a quick scene from my life that illustrates this this point. A few years ago, we had a storm very much like what we had this week. I think it might have even been worse, at least at my house. Even even more snow, even more wind, um, just as cold as this. And as a result of that storm and a bunch of other circumstances... Chaos broke out in my life over a few days. I had multiple trees down across my driveway. We could not get out. I had three different cars that would not start for whatever reasons. I had a bull cow that broke out of its pasture fence and was roaming around marauding in other people's yards. It are Oh, three times... In just a few days, three different times, the electricity went out. And, of course, that was the week when I was supposed to be getting ready to preach. Chaos. I mean, I was beside myself. Didn't know what I was going to do. And suddenly I got a text from a brother and I'm not going to jeopardize her reward. I'm not going to tell you who it was. But I got a text from a brother. And all it said was, I'm on my way to your house. And he showed up with a chainsaw, with really good mechanical skills, uh, with a strong back and a willingness to sweat, even in the cold, because he worked really hard. Somehow, I don't even know how, somehow he had discerned what was going on. The Spirit had led him to discern or the Spirit had given him information through somebody. I don't know, but he just showed up. And he met so many needs. And I didn't ask him, he just came. And... I think his primary gift is service. Now, this is a guy who has, this is a guy who has, uh, less time probably than I do, and just as many responsibilities as I do, but there he was at my house, solving a whole bunch of the things on my list. And I have to tell you, not many times I've felt more loved than that. That's the grace of God using somebody in his body, not just to meet my needs, but I would suggest when we use our spiritual gift, there's a ripple effect. 
It didn't just affect me. Remember, I was getting ready to preach. And the truth is, I wasn't getting ready to preach. Because there was too much that had to be done right now. And so, it didn't just impact me. didn't just encourage me and meet my needs. But Lord willing, I was way more able to prepare than I would have been. And Lord willing, that blessed some of you. And you were... You were encouraged. You were built up. Your needs were met. As I then later tried to exercise my spiritual gift and pour God's love and grace into your life. We affect each other. One part of the body affects another part, which enables them to be function more effectively. You see the point? The ripple effect? When one part is hurting, it affects everything. Don't ever buy the lie that... Oh, what I do is, you know, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing and it can't be that important and the body doesn't need me. It'll, the body will function just fine without me. You know, the body can be, can be strong and effective whether I'm doing what I'm, you know, what God's equipped me to do or not. Don't ever buy that lie. We need each other. Each of us is indispensable. And what God has called us to do, pouring the love and grace into each other's lives, is worthy of great honor. It is a privilege. And we all need to engage in it. We all need to understand that it's an above all task. And I'm just going to close by again reading the verse, we, one of the verses we started with. Let's, let's surrender ourselves to this call here on our lives and as a church body. Let's do this. Above all, keep loving each other earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. How do we do it? As each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Let's be conduits of God's love and God's grace into each other's lives. And all of us, praise God, have been equipped to do it for each other. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that you love us enough to design your church body in this way. What a privilege to be a part of a family, brothers and sisters, that you have called to love this way. Lord, help us to sacrificially serve each other and love each other. Lord, help us to seek out opportunities. Help us to find what you have equipped us to do and help us to wholeheartedly commit ourselves to loving each other in that way. Help us to strain to love each other through the spiritual gifts that you have provided us. Lord, We saw in the passage that when we do that, when we value each other and need each other and see each other as indispensable and honorable, then there will be no divisions. So we ask for that, Lord. Help us to so love each other that we will be unified, one body with no divisions, because we value each other so much, because we are so committed to serving and loving each other that there will be no divisions. We ask, Lord, that you would do that. We thank you that you have empowered us to serve each other well. We ask you to help us do it in Jesus' name. Amen.